everyone, Jace here. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to tell you about a campaign for an awesome creator-owned book that's going on right now over at Zoop. Axwilder John is the story of a savage journey into the heart of a man driven mad by love, by hate, by power, as he is hounded by hordes of relentless enemies who will stop at nothing to reclaim what John has stolen. This is a real passion project for writer-artist Nick Patera, as he's drawing inspiration from creators he loves, such as Frank Quietly, Jeff Darrow, and Mobius, among others. The book is also a deeply personal tale for Nick. He conceived a lot of the character and stories while his family was dealing with health challenges for his youngest daughter. Just like real life, the story is much more complicated than it might seem at first glance, and the axe-wielding barbarian at the heart of the story may be much, much more relatable than your average bloodthirsty warrior. The project's already fully funded, so go join the campaign, and you're guaranteed to get this full-color, oversized, hardcover edition. Just visit zoop.gg to check it out. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for May 11th, 2022. Apologies, it's coming out super late on Wednesday, early Thursday. Again, I'm on the road. I'm recording from a hotel room in Florida. And uh, it's just, I'm so busy. I'm getting like three hours of sleep a night. Um, so again, apologies. You know I like to get these out uh, early on Wednesdays before you get to the comic shop so you know what to look for. Uh, but all that being said, hope you got a chance to check out some great books. There is another episode that's going to drop Thursday. Uh, it is an interview with Stephanie Phillips. She had her debut from Boom come out grim. It did incredible numbers. It's an incredible story. I highly recommend it. If you're more curious about details, go listen to the episode with Stephanie to learn more about it. But definitely pick it up. If you didn't pick it up and you've already been to your comic shop, call. Hopefully they have copies left and you'd be able to grab one. So uh, with all that being said, let me go ahead and dive into the books for this week. Uh, first book I'm going to talk about is Bunny Mask, The Hollow Inside, number one. Obviously, this is a sequel to Bunny Mask from Aftershock Comics. Same creative team, Paul Tobin is the writer, Andrea Moody handles the uh, line work and colors, Taylor Esposito on letters. This is Jay's book of the week. He's a huge fan of Bunny Mask. And I have to say that as interesting and intriguing as the first series was, in a lot of ways there were more questions than answers. Uh, I think purposefully by Paul Tobin, who I've talked about uh, talked with about coming on the show. We've just never been able to make the schedule work. So hopefully we'll have that uh, happening later on this year. But uh, I really liked the narrative here because he, I don't want to say he makes assumptions, but you, you will benefit a lot from having read the first volume of Bunny Mask. So he, he hits the story. It, there's been a little bit of time jump. He hits the ground running and He's referring back to things that happened in the first volume. I think you could jump in on this one, not having read the first one and be okay, but you're obviously going to get more out of it. If you've read the first volume, then this is a really rich story. And that's, that's what I mean by when I say he hits the ground running. It feels very settled in. He's referring to things. It's a known quantity. It's a known world to some extent. And that makes it sort of, it feels lived in. It feels familiar in a way. And so then when we're introduced to a new character, it really kind of throws you. When we get more context and see Bunny Mask using her powers in different ways 
and have a better understanding of what she's doing and can kind of see some motivation. So it's like the first volume kind of set up the world, set up the characters, set up the, what, what is called the conceit of the story. Um, you know, we've gotten the whole thing all together and now what Tobin is doing is he's just peeling back layers. So we're getting more context and more understanding, but it feels familiar until it doesn't, until a new character is introduced, until some of the answers we're getting from the questions that remained after the first volume. It's like these little light bulbs are going off, going, oh, that's what, that's why this happened. That's what this was referring to or that kind of thing. And, uh, in a lot of ways, Andrea Moody is doing the same thing with the art. Uh, we know that he also does the art for another horror book over at Aftershock called Maniac of New York. And there's even a little Easter egg here, uh, for Maniac. So I caught that. I thought it was great. Uh, his art style's really well suited to, to tell this type of story, a story where it's the blend of the real and the unreal, if you will. Uh, and so I think it works on, on those levels, especially his color work, which is very, uh, subtle and muted and it, they're not bright colors that jump off the page. So, uh, I love this book. I, I, I think the first issue of this volume, I like more than any of the issues of volume one. Uh, I just really loved getting into those layers and peeling back those layers and the sort of settled in uh, tone that the story had. I thought it worked really, really well. So I definitely recommend that. Um, if you're into horror and it's not like it's scary gore gory or anything like that it's more kind of suspenseful uh, but again i thought it worked uh, on a lot of those levels uh, okay up next we have captain america symbol of truth uh, now we had the captain america zero last month it's launching two captain america's number ones this month one stars Steve Rogers, one stars Sam Wilson. This one, Symbol of Truth, stars Sam Wilson. So it's written by, and apologies if I mispronounce this, I think it's Tochi Onabuchi. Uh, and the art is by R.B. Silva. Letters by Joe Karaman Karamanya. Uh, art is by Jesus Arbatov. Uh, I thought the art here was spectacular. Uh, a lot of big, big splash pages but uh, from RB Silva. But one thing I want to point out is you don't lose any transitions. You don't lose any storytelling visually. You don't lose any um, impact by having uh, these large panels or splash pages. If anything, you get more impact and it makes the story feel, uh, especially the action sequence in the beginning, uh, and the end, the, the middle sort of a flashback, but it makes those action sequences feel very cinematic. And I know that word gets used, probably overused when referring to comics, but it's really true. Uh, I thought it was spectacular. In terms of the narrative storyline, um, I thought it was just a little bit choppy. Um, and not that I couldn't understand what was going on, but I just, I thought the dialogue didn't flow. The scripting could have been a little tighter. Um, again, I'm not super familiar with Sam Wilson as Captain America and his, uh, his sidekick Falcon, which is so, you know, it's so weird for me having read, uh, Captain America, Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson as, as Falcon. I still 
I don't know, it's weird to see Falcon as, uh, or Sam Wilson, I should say, as, as Captain America. I don't, I just don't know that it works for me. Um, especially with the wings and everything. I, I'm still not 100% on, on board with it. Not that he necessarily should have stayed Falcon. Like, I, I don't know. It's kind of a, it's kind of a messy, messy thing. I don't really care for the character in the MCU either. Maybe that, um, maybe that colors my outlook, but I thought this was really good. Uh, again, there is room for improvement on the scripting and I don't know how much, uh, this writer Tochi has experience, um, writing comics. So, uh, scripting is not something that you're able to just nail right from the start. It can be kind of tough, especially if you've come from writing other media where words are spoken, it just doesn't read the same uh, spoken dialogue versus scripted uh, dialogue. Uh, it, it's just different. So we'll see uh, if, if it improves. The pacing, however, um, is pretty good. And that's another thing that's really, really hard to, to nail. And I thought he did a pretty good job at that. So uh, we also see an old uh, classic Captain America villain show up here at the end, which uh, has me intrigued for the next issue. I actually wasn't necessarily planning on reading the Sam Wilson Captain America. I'm more of a Steve Rogers guy. Um, but just based on the villain, I'm like, okay, I'll be back for issue number two. Plus there was a ton of action and I thought that worked really, really well. So, uh, anyway, up next we have crossover number three. This is my book of the week. It brought me to tears. Okay. Like, uh, comics, they don't do that to me very often. Um, but this one did. Maybe it's cause I'm super tired <laughs> from this trip. Um, but anyway, uh, Donnie Cates, he got me. So, uh, way to go, Donnie. He, he wrote the book. He wrote the story, uh, obviously in collaboration with the artist, Jeff Shaw. D. Cunniff handles the colors, John J. Hill letters and design. Um, this is just such a meta book. Uh, if you haven't been reading it, you're really missing out. You need to pick up the first two trades that cover the first 12 issues. And then you can pick this one up. I mean, pick this one up, then go get the trades, read the trades, read this issue. You'll be blown away. Uh, I, I commend Donnie on his bravery for putting himself, he, he himself is a character in this book and he's writing himself warts and all. Uh, he's not shying away from, you know, mistakes he's made or emotions that he has. Um, you know, whether you are a big fan of Donnie or not and his big over the top bombastic style of writing, you have to give the man credit for being authentically himself all the time. And, uh, you know, I know I've met Donnie a few times. I wouldn't say, you know, I necessarily know him, but I've met him. We've spoken on occasion. Uh, and this certainly seems from my perspective to be <laughs> very true to, to who Donnie is. Uh, and so again, I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, I've read a lot of Donnie Kate stuff over the years. Um, I, I prefer his independent stuff. Not that his Marvel stuff isn't interesting. Um, but again, it, sometimes it is so over the top that it's not, there's not a lot of subtlety to it. Um, and so maybe that's where it doesn't connect with me as much as opposed to something like this that is so emotional and cerebral and has me thinking about it, you know, coming back to it in my mind days later, weeks later. Um, and to have something, you know, affect me as emotionally as this. And that's not to say there's not action because there's a ton of action in this issue and it sets up some really interesting aspects of the story and what you think you know about the crossover and who's in charge is completely flipped on its head. And it's, 
it's fun that way and it is kind of bombastic and over the top and it, it brought a smile to my face. So when you talk about a comic that can bring a smile to somebody's face and then also move somebody to tears, I mean, that, that's what you want as a creator, right? As a creator, you want to create art that emotionally affects somebody that has an impact. And uh, I mean, this isn't just book of the week. Like this is one of the best comics I've read in a long, long time. And again, all credit to Donnie Cates for uh, being, making himself vulnerable for putting, you know, himself and, and personal thoughts and feelings and emotions and situations and, you know, his life on, on the page. And I thought, I thought it worked so well. Um, and you got to give a lot of credit to Jeff Shaw too, for, um, for illustrating those moments in Donnie's life so beautifully, um, because it's all, it's not even a whole page of panels. Um, it's just these little snippets, uh, of, of Donnie, uh, and, uh, it, it just got me. It just nailed me. Um, so it, it's so fantastic. Such a great book. Um, I thought for sure I was going to give my book of the week to Grimm, which is also really, 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 really good. I can't stress enough how great Grimm is, but, um, I mean, <laughs> this comic, like I said, it brought me to tears. And then, you know, a few pages later, I'm smiling from ear to ear with this crazy idea at the end that, uh, that Donnie and Jeff Shaw have cooked up. So, um, I know this is a finite series. I, I, I'm pretty sure I think they already, I remember reading that they announced the, the final issue. Uh, I'm going to be sad to see it go, but at the same time, I love that they're not going to, uh, try to stretch it out or make it longer than it needs to be or make it, try to make it, you know, something that it's not. Uh, it's a finite story. That's fantastic. This issue is going to stick with me for a long, long time. Like I was blown away. It was so good. So, uh, we have another, uh, number one. I know we've already talked about two. Let's see. We actually, so Bunny Mask, uh, Captain America, Symbol of Truth, Eight Billion Genies, Grimm, Hulk versus Thor, Banner War, uh, Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood. Yeah, six number ones, uh, that I'm going to be talking about. A lot of number ones this week. So, uh, okay. Well, you heard me say it. Eight Billion Genies. That's up next. This is from, the same creative team that brought us uh, Curse Words. So that's writer Charles Soule. The art is by Ryan Brown. And it's this is a really interesting idea to start from. Uh, let me tell a story where 8 billion people, every person on Earth, there's about 8 billion people on Earth, they all get a genie. And they all get one wish. Go. Right. What happens next? Uh, that's what this story is, uh, is all about. And so we get introduced to a few characters. There's some, some people in a band. There's a father and son. There's a guy who owns a bar. Um, and the guy who owns a bar might be my favorite character in the book because he, I mean, he owns a bar. It's a total dive bar, but there's a lot more to this guy than, you know, you might necessarily think in the beginning. And I, and I love that. Like this guy is really quite intelligent. Um, and I have a feeling that he and his bar are, are going to be central to the story, but, uh, haven't seen anybody wish for more wishes. Haven't seen anybody wish for the power of a genie. 
uh, and everybody only gets one wish, not three. So really, really interesting. Um, and I, I don't know, I don't, you almost think the world would just explode, right? Somebody's going to, you know what? I, I just, I wish for existence to be wiped out or something. I mean, we don't know the rules. We don't know, um, what these little genies are capable of, like what's the limits of their power. And what if two people, uh, wish for something that's diametrically opposed to each other, which, you know, what wins that sort of thing. So, and I, I don't know, I, I have to think that if I'm in this situation, because that's the other thing you do with a story like this, like I, I think two things, at least this is where I came at it from. If everybody got one wish, first of all, what would, I would be curious to see what would happen. I would think the world would descend into chaos. First of all, the other thing is like, man, if you only get one, I'm, I'm waiting, right? I, I'm waiting, first of all, to see how everybody else's wishes, um, turn out. And you got to be really specific, you know, there's a, I think it was a commercial, right? Or some guy wished for a million bucks and he got like a bunch of deer, right? Obviously you wouldn't want that to happen. So you have to be really specific and, you know, is it a long run on sentence? Well, I, you know, I wish I had superpowers that include invisibility flight. Like, you know, how long, how long can you make your wish? Uh, is there a way to get more out of it? Like, you know, wishing for the power, you know, I, I wish I had the power to make all my wishes come true or something, you know, along those lines. So, man, I think I would just wait like a really, really long time, but you're going to have those people especially kids, you know, they're very impulsive uh, or just people that are impulsive in general or very impatient. They're just going to, you know, as soon as the genie shows up and says, I'm going to give you a wish, they're going to go, oh, I want, you know, a trillion dollars or, or, you know, I want to be famous or, or whatever, you know, something that they've really been focused on for their whole lives. They're, they may not have the uh, ability to be patient. I think I would be patient. You know, I don't necessarily consider myself the most patient person, but I think in this case, um, and I think it all stems from, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm not a very wasteful person. Um, and also like, I don't, I'm, I'm very, uh, conscious of making mistakes. You know, like if somebody asks me a question, I don't know the answer. I'd rather say, I don't know than guess and be wrong. So it'd be the same thing, right? I wouldn't want to make my wish and, and have it be wrong and have a regret. So I'd like wait and wait and wait. Um, so, you know, when I think about it, you know, what are my favorite comics? Well, they're the comics that make me think. And this comic obviously has me thinking about a lot. So it's going to be interesting because I, there's no way that Charles Soule and Ryan Brown can tell 8 billion stories because that's really what you need to do, right? Like if you want to tell the complete story of 8 billion genies, we need to see all 8 billion wishes, you know, whether they happen right away or after a few hours, days, months, years, whatever. Um, and you can't necessarily do that. Are we going to, are they going to explore at all how this happened? Like, where did the genes come from? Um, so there's a lot here. And the other aspect of it is if you're giving people these wishes, the story can go in any direction because some people wish for superpowers. Now you can tell superhero stories, you know, horror stories, magic stories, it can be romance. It can, at the end of the day, it's human drama, right? Cause it's all about people interacting and how they got their wishes and what they did with them and whatnot. So super, super, uh, fascinating. So many questions to be answered. I don't know how much they're going to explore. 
Uh, maybe they're just going to focus on the characters that we got in the first issue. Don't know, but I'm definitely along for the ride. Uh, I, I just thought it was excellent. So, uh, okay. Up next, Grimm, which I mentioned already. Please go listen to my interview with Stephanie Phillips. We talked about Grimm. We talked a little bit about Harley. We talked a little bit about Wonder Woman. She has a Wonder Woman Evolution title she's doing with Mike Hawthorne. And we talked about her comicsology, uh, We Only Kill Each Other comicsology, uh, series. So, uh, go check it out. Grimm, written by Stephanie Phillips, illustrated by Flaviano, colored by Rico Renzi, lettered by Tom Napolitano. It's all about Grim Reapers, specifically one Grim Reaper named Jessica Haro. She's different than the other Grim Reapers in a way. Uh, Stephanie talks about that. She talks about the other mystery, not just the mystery surrounding Jessica, but the other mystery that's at the kind of the core of the story of Grimm. Um, and, it, and with that title, Grimm, I expected it to be really dark and brooding and gritty, maybe even uh, horror. But Stephanie herself refers to it as fantasy. Yes, we see the afterlife, but uh, the book subverted my expectations in a lot of ways because it wasn't grim. Um, and, you know, not that I would describe Jessica Harrow as happy-go-lucky, but she definitely has a almost like a fun playful side to her. Uh, not quite a frivolity, but, um, there is some joy to the story. Uh, and so I, I thought it was excellent. I also can't say enough great, uh, words about the art. Um, oh my God, the art by Flaviano is just amazing. And the color work by Rico Renzi suits that line work really, really well. So, uh, I, again, I was blown away. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Stephanie Phillips and, you know, I pay attention to when she has stuff coming out because I generally enjoy her work. Um, she just, she has a sensibility that I really, really like. And so, you know, heard about this coming from boom kind of, uh, chance for her to develop a property with them. And so I had high expectations because it's Stephanie Phillips and I, I enjoy her work. My expectations were exceeded. Uh, and I try not to have expectations. I try not to go in. I try not to, when it's a Stephanie Phillips title, and there's a few other creators I feel the same way. I try not to read too much about it, too much of the, you know, press releases or previews or whatnot, because I don't want to get my hopes up too much. And I still want to be able to be surprised to some extent, because I already sort of know what to expect in terms of tone. Uh, and then you hear it's grim and you see the Jay Lee cover where she's leaping through the air and she's got her scythe that she's cutting through things. Um, and it, you know, it's like fighting monsters or it's going to be a bunch of blood and guts. It's called grim. Um, but again, it exceeded my expectations and it, it subverted them at the same time because it wasn't in tone what I thought it was going to be. And it was just fun. It's just a really great comic. Now, here's an example of somebody who's got scripting and dialogue down from the beginning. I've never read something by Stephanie where uh, I didn't feel like the character's dialogue wasn't spot on. It's well paced. Uh, it's technically a perfect comic in my mind. I, I don't know that there's anything else they could do because again, visually it is so stunning and the colors are, they just leap off the page. It's just, it's just so, it's just so good. And so, uh, again, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. I really thought this was going to be my book of the week. And then yeah, crossover crossover got me. So, um, 
almost should probably say co co books of the week, but yeah, it's really, really great. Definitely check out Grimm. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people, I mean, I know it sold really, really well. Obviously there's the other boom title, something is killing the children, which also sold really, really well. And yet somehow still people missed it. And you know, the early issues go for a lot of money. So I'm, I'm not saying that Grimm is going to sell for, you know, Grimm number one is going to sell for what something is killing the children that, you know, sells for, but I'm just saying you might want to pay attention. I think this title has a lot of potential. So, uh, okay. Up next, we have another Marvel title. Uh, this is, uh, Donnie Cates, actually, who we just talked about. Uh, he's the writer. The art is by Martin Cocolo. I think that's how you pronounce it. Pronounce it. C-O-C-C-O-L-O. Uh, Mount Willison does the colors. Joe Sabino's on letters. It's Hulk versus Thor, Banner of War, part one of five. So I think this crosses over into some Hulk books and some Thor books. And then I think it comes back with um, uh, Hulk versus Thor, Banner of War, Omega is my guess. Um, so yeah, this is the end all be all of the, the Banner Hulk or, or Banner Thor, Hulk Thor matchup, right? Um, but it's interesting that banner of war because something happens in the book that you start to understand okay why is it it's hulk versus thor but why is banner's name there and all you have to do is read the first issue to realize why that's the case um i like the idea of donnie giving us a big over-the-top bombastic always words i use to describe uh, donnie's stories uh pulling from all the history of the hulk thor fights over the years let's give donnie a chance because here's one of the here's one of the things that's classically marvel that Donnie can't overhype or oversell uh, or go too far over the top. I mean, when it's Thor versus Hulk or, or Hulk versus Thing, you pull out all the stops, right? Like I, sometimes I might think that subtlety is lost on Donnie when it comes to uh, Marvel storytelling. Like you read his recent, uh, just so his regular Hulk run and the fact that he's turned the Hulk into a spaceship, it, it's, it seems like a ludicrous idea, but he makes it work. Here, he can go as ludicrous as he wants. He can go as wild as he wants. That's what I expect in a Hulk versus Thor run. So he does a good job of framing where Hulk is, where Banner is currently in Marvel continuity. Same thing with Thor. He writes both of the regular books, so that's to his advantage here to be able to make this crossover work. Um, so uh, I thought that the uh, Martin Cocolo art did a really good job of... Uh, capturing some montage pieces that uh, accurately reflect all the recap that Donnie's doing. So that really worked. And then from there, we just get into the fight. We get into the fight, but then something changes. Something's going to be much more different uh, than any Hulk Thor fight before. And again, as soon as you see it happen, you realize, oh man, Hulk may have an advantage here that he's never had in the past when he's fought Thor. I think Thor generally tends to win these fights. That might not be the case this time, and there's a very good reason for that. Beyond that, there's just some really cool moments in the fight. Um, again, I don't want to give anything away, but Mjolnir plays obviously a big role in the fight. But just when you think um, the Hulk might be down for the count, no, no. 
it's only part one. Of course, he's not out of the fight already. So uh, there's a couple of really great moments, as I said. There's a cool cliffhanger. Uh, I'm going to be buying a Thor comic for the first time in a really, really long time so I can get part two because this does continue into uh, Thor number 25. So uh, if you're a fan of Donnie, if you're a fan of Thor, if you're a fan of Hulk, if you're a fan of all three, um, you're probably really going to enjoy it because, like I said, it's super over the top and a whole heck of a lot of fun. Uh, okay, we have another Marvel title up next. It's Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood. And you guys have heard me say I'm pretty tired of these um, limited color palette books and anthologies. This is not really any different. I know Moon Knight sort of the flavor of the week right now, but I'm not really a fan of any of these stories. Um, even within the three of them, the, the characterization of Moon Knight himself is wildly different. Um, I don't know. I just prefer more consistency. I think Jed McKay is doing a great job on the regular Moon Knight title. I don't feel like Moon Knight is someone who's so well established that any writer can just come in and pick him up and write him. Um, cause here you have three writers that are all accomplished writers and yeah, the tone of each story is wildly different and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but at least give me consistency in Moon Knight's characterization. I don't really feel like we, we got that here. And again, I don't, I don't feel that the black, white and red art really, really works here. Um, in the second story, it works the best, but, um, yeah, I just, I wasn't, I just wasn't a fan. Uh, anyway, Jonathan Hickman and Chris Bacalo do the first story called Anubis Rex. So white, yet so dark. Maria Awadeli and Dotan Akandi are the storytellers on that one. And then the last one's Mark Guggenheim and Jorge Fornes. Um, which again, I'm, I'm fans uh, of a lot of these creators individually, uh, on other things they've done in the past, but, yeah, this just didn't, it just didn't land for me. I just didn't care for it. So, um, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, probably will sell real well. As I said, Moon Knight is, is pretty flavor of the month right now. So, uh, if you want to check it out, go right ahead. Uh, up next, we have Noctera. We're up to issue number 10 on this one. I think this is the next to last issue for this arc. Uh, it's written by Scott Snyder co-creator and artist is Tony S. Daniel, Marcelo Maiello on colors, and World Design does the letters. Um, Nocturne is just a fantastic book. Consistently, month in, month out, you can always count on Scott and Tony to give you a big chunk of story and to have things happen. There's no, oh, that was a down issue or that was a slow issue. And that's what I don't, I can't figure out how Scott's doing it, honestly. Um, you know, I talk all the time about you have to have some issues where it's really, really high peak action. And then maybe the next issue has to be a little bit slower to, so you have the contrast. It feels like every issue is a peak, but yet it doesn't seem one note. Uh, again, I'm just not sure how he does it. Scott makes every issue, Scott and Tony, you give Tony a lot of credit too, um, because his visual storytelling is, is fantastic. Probably the best transitions uh, I've ever seen from him. And it, you know, it's a world where it's dark all the time. And so the colors is very important. And Marcelo Maiello does a great job of uh, bringing that, you know, darkness to the book, but Tony's line work is never muddy. 
and so that that's really tough to do. Uh, Tony's really pouring his heart and soul into this book. Uh, at least that's what it seems to me from the way the art is coming across. Um, but yeah, going back to back to what I was saying earlier, um, it, it's just it's impactful story beat after impactful story beat, and it's it's hard to overstate just how fast paced this is. Uh, there have been stakes and consequences for these characters and this world right from issue one. And that hasn't wavered. That has stayed the same throughout. So, uh, again, that, that is exceptionally hard to do. And, uh, I love that Scott and Tony are getting to do this on a, a creator owned book, put out some of the best work they've ever done. Um, and the fact that it's on a book that they, you know, own and they control and they can do whatever they want is uh is fantastic so i see a lot of people talking about noctera every week when it drops uh, or every month when it drops so uh, i'm really happy for scott and tony that it's getting the recognition that it deserves because it's a it's really a fantastic book so uh first trade paperback is out if you're not reading it highly recommend you go pick up the trade get caught up uh it's a whole heck of a lot of fun uh, okay, up next we have another Aftershock title. This is issue number two. It's called The Ocean Will Take Us. It's by Rich Duick. Carlos Oliveras is the artist. Manuel Pupo does the colors. Dave Sharp on letters. Um, basically, it's about a little boy, or I shouldn't say a little boy, a young man, because he's in high school, who moves to a, an ocean-side town. His mom works for um, like this technology company that is researching the ocean to try to find ways for renewable energy and whatnot. And uh, the boy, I think they had come from Hawaii and they moved to this smaller town back uh, in the continental United States. And he's, he's kind of small for his age and uh, he gets bullied right away, especially by some members of the swim team, but he's uh, like a championship swimmer himself. And in the first issue, he tries out for the swim team thinking he's going to beat everybody and uh, one of the other boys cheats and takes what this this uh, newcomer believes to be some sort of performance enhancing drug uh, and ends up winning the the uh, the race to be on the swim team. And so um, this boy is naturally suspicious of that. And it, in a way, it's like it's almost like a, um, a Scooby-Doo issue. You know, he's got his gang uh, of what friends he did make and they're trying to investigate and figure out what's going on. So. It definitely has that that vibe, that sort of young vibe of like a you know a, a teenage gang of sleuths, like a Hardy Boys sort of thing, or, or like I said, Scooby Doo. So it's it's got that fun loving aspect to it, but it also has this mysterious aspect and sort of a menacing aspect because we know as the reader that there's something else going on in the town. There's either something controlling people or um, something to do with the water. I mean, the name of it, the ocean will take us. Obviously, water. Um, some kind of entity or bad actors or something is going on and they obviously have a tie to the water, to the ocean. So there's a lot of um, pop culture references in it that are uh, a lot of fun, particularly in this issue. The Breakfast Club comes up a few times. So I, I didn't know what to expect. This is another one of those titles where you know I didn't read a whole heck of a lot about it before it dropped and I was blown away by the first issue. I thought it was so good. And, um, the second issue just, it, it solidified that this is a book that you should be reading. 
once again, showing that Aftershock knows what it's doing when it comes to choosing the right stories for these, uh, these creators to create. So, uh, the art by Carlos Oliveras, it's a little stylized. Uh, if it suits that animated style, maybe that's where I get the, the, uh, the Scooby-Doo, uh, a little bit of maybe of some manga influences. The, I noticed the characters do tend to have uh, big exaggerated eyes, which is something that uh, you'll see a lot in manga. Uh, colors are very bright and primary and vibrant. So, um, on that note, I think this would make a fantastic cartoon. It's, uh, it's really, really fun. Do not sleep on that book. Um, especially think it'll read really, really well in trade. So, uh, I can see myself, um, buying that one, buying some, some trades of that to give away as I've done with Aftershock books in the past. Uh, okay. Up next, another image book. It's time before time. We're up to issue number 12. It's written by Declan Shalvey and Rory McConville. PJ Holden is the artist, Chris O'Halloran on colors, Hassan Otsman Elhow on letters. Now, this is not an issue of Time Before Time that you will want to pick up if you haven't been reading any of it. Um, or maybe it's the best issue to pick up if you haven't read any of it. <laughs> so let me explain what I mean. This issue doesn't give us any of the characters that we've seen before. Um, instead, we get Nadia's FBI partner. And Nadia goes missing. Now we know that she stole a time machine and, and went to look for her uh, mother and, and daughter. And uh, her partner's like, where'd she go? And it's about his investigation and the context in his time period of Nadia's disappearance and how um, the syndicate gets away with what it does. How, how does it manipulate people? How does it, you know, cut through the red tape? How does it um, not shut down by the government and whatnot. So in a way, it's a really great issue to, to read because it gives context for the way time travel and the world work. On the other hand, if you just pick this up, you don't know who Nadia is. You don't know the stakes. You don't know the consequences. You don't know anything that's happened before. So uh, I can see it going either way, but it was a very, very enjoyable issue. And it has me wondering if we're going to see a lot more of Nadia's partner in the future, because he's a character that I really, really enjoyed uh, seeing. Um, I just thought he was, he was just really, really fun. So uh, again, I, I, we've talked a lot. We've, I think we've covered every issue of time before time. Uh, Jay and I are both fans and uh, the, the art style is, um, something unique and sort of all its own. It's, it's a, a little bit gritty, uh, and it works on that level. So, uh, again, it's not the easiest, it's not the easiest, uh, storyline to follow because it does jump around through time so much, but I thought it worked. Um, now typically the art is by Joe Palmer, but we have PJ Holden uh, in this issue. And I thought he did a good job of keeping it consistent. His art is very reminiscent of Joe Palmer's, maybe a little less gritty, a little cleaner, but I thought it worked. The colors are the, are the same, uh, Chris O'Halloran. So that helps bring a consistency to the art as well. I'm a fan. I like this book. Um, it's one of those where I know I'm going to be able to go back and reread once I, you know, in big chunks or once I have the whole series and it's completed 
and I'll get more out of it and it'll, and it'll make more sense. Um, and that's only because I read so many books month in, month out. It's hard to remember exactly what happened on the previous issue. And when it's time travel and you're bouncing around through different time periods, it can be a little challenging. Uh, they always tell you what time period, but you know, again, I, I can't remember, okay, what was going on in 2137 versus 2146 and 2278 or, you know, it's, it, it can be challenging. So, uh, okay. Last book I'm going to talk about in detail. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the first two issues, uh, but this is the best issue of the series so far. It's what if Miles Morales, number three, and this time they're asking the question, what if Miles Morales became the Hulk? So this is written by Anthony Piper. Edgar Salazar is the artist. Chris Sotomayor does the colors and Corey Petit's on letters. Now, what's interesting about this is the whole story is told in Miles' own words as he is at the Avengers mansion in a therapy session with Doc Samson. So obviously this is part of the Marvel multiverse. We're hopping around the Marvel, Marvel multiverse and we're checking in on different realities where uh, Miles is Thor or Miles is Wolverine or Miles is, in this case, the Hulk. So having the story told through Miles' own words as he's talking to Doc Samson, it does bring an intimacy and sort of a tragedy to the story. You know, typically the Hulk is uh, a lot of times a, a tragic figure. You know, he's misunderstood. He doesn't necessarily mean to cause harm. Yes, he lashes out in anger, um, but he, you know, he's not, he's not evil. Um, and that's the same thing you, you see here. And so if there's anything that Anthony Piper does really, really well, it's mixing that, um, that youth and that self doubt that is sort of, um, inherent to who Miles is as a character, you know, not unlike Peter Parker when he first became Spider-Man, uh, but balancing that out with the tragedy of the Hulk. You know, this creature who can't control his emotions and, uh, you know, rages out and turns into this giant beast. Um, I thought the art was very clean and very well done from Edgar Salazar. The colors by Chris Sotomayor were very good. Um, and the, the last thing I'll say about the art is, again, framed by Miles telling this story or telling the, relating these uh, events to his therapist. Uh, that's a talking head book, uh, and that can be very, very boring. But uh, Edgar Salazar does a great job of keeping it interesting. And I also give a lot of credit to the scripting that Anthony Piper does. He keeps the flow going very, very well. Uh, another uh, example of really good choices in the vocabulary and, and the scripting. So next issue is what if Miles is Thor? Not really that big of a Thor fan. I'll probably check it out. We'll see. Uh, but this is by far for me the best, uh, issue of, uh, of Thor, uh, of, uh, <laughs> Miles so far. What if Miles? Uh, okay. Let me give a rundown on some other books that you might want to be on lookout for today uh, at your comic shop. Um, in addition to those two aftershock books that I talked about, we also have Campisi the Dragon Incident trade paperback, which I, uh, really enjoyed, uh, kind of a mix between, um, fantasy and uh, crime noir, I guess you'd say. Uh, from AWA, we have the second volume of Devil's Highway. Uh, issue number one is out uh, from Boom Studios. 
Grim number one obviously is the big one, but we also have Mighty Morphin number 19 and Seven Secrets number 17 are also out today. Um, DC, and again, go check out our DC Spotlight on Tuesday for all these DC books. Uh, we did get that one out on time. <laughs> uh, Batgirls number six. We have Batman Urban Legends number 15. Blood Syndicate season one, number one of six. Future State Gotham number 13. I Am Batman number nine. Jurassic League number one of six, which reimagines the Justice League as dinosaur prehistoric creatures. Um, Justice League versus Legion of Superheroes number three. Uh, that one's written by Brian Michael Bendis. Sandman Universe Nightmare Country number two. Naomi number two. Uh, Naomi season two number three. Suicide Squad get Joker number three, which is a black label book from Brian Azzarello. Superman Son of Kal-El number 11. And Wonder Woman number 787, which is picking up the pieces of uh, the Trial of Amazon's event that just finished up recently. Uh, okay, over at Image, in addition to the books that we talked about, we also have uh, Loaded Bible, Blood of My Blood, number three of six. We have Scorched, number five. That's the Spawn team book. Speaking of Spawn, issue number 329, that drops this week, as well as Walking Dead Deluxe, number 38, which uh, is basically Walking Dead 38, but colored instead of the black and white like it was first released, thus the uh, Deluxe. Uh, over at Marvel, in addition to the books I talked about, we have King Conan, number four. We have Shang-Chi, number 12. Star Wars The Halcyon Legacy number three of five, and X-Men number 11, written by Jerry Dugan. Uh, over at Valiant, the first volume of the latest Harbinger uh, series is out. At Vault, we have West of Sundown number two. Uh, that's been getting a lot of buzz, and if you missed number one, there's a second printing that your shop may or may not have gotten. So uh, those are some other books that you might want to be on the lookout for this week. Again, highly recommend Crossover. Pick up the first two trades and then pick up number 13. It's absolutely fantastic. Also, jump on board with Grimm. Number one is out this week. Go listen to my interview that I did with Stephanie Phillips about uh, the more details on, on what it's about and, and the development of it and whatnot. So once again, I want to thank everybody for listening as always, and we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.